I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Shoba Krishnan, one of America's foremost experts on HPV and its impact on women's health. She's a family physician and gynecologist and is the chair of the HPV and Cervical Cancer Task Force at the American Medical Women's Association. Dr. Krishnan is the author of the award-winning book, The HPV Controversy, Sex, Cancer, God, and Politics. And she's hosting an important webinar series at the end of January entitled U.S. versus HPV to be able to bring this message more broadly to the American women and the American people on the issues surrounding HPV. You can learn more about Dr. Krishnan and her work at www.giahc.org. So welcome, Shoba. I'm so glad to talk to you today in advance of this big webinar. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And uh, thank you to all those who have tuned in to listen to this podcast. All right. So your book is called The HP Vaccine Controversy, but HPV is so much bigger than just the vaccine. So talk to me about why should people care about HPV and what's so big? Because frankly, it's mostly invisible to people. That that is so very true, and I think the the reason it came to light was uh, nearly about ten years ago, when the vaccine was commercialized, and uh, and now we have started uh, talking more about it because we have a solution to prevent majority of HPV infections. And uh, just to tell you uh, and the audience what HPV is, it's, it's called a human papillomavirus. HPV is the abbreviation. It's not HIV, it's not HSV, which is the herpes simplex virus. And this is a virus which has been there for um, centuries. But now we have a solution to prevent most of the diseases and cancers that is caused by this virus. Well, Not and only in women, you know, up until recently we thought HPV equals cervical cancer, but now we are finding that HPV causes several thousand cancers in men too. In fact, 43,000 HPV-related cancers are caused in both men and women in the United States annually. And so I think we all should start paying attention to it, isn't it? Especially when we have a solution to prevent most of these. Well, it is. And the thing that I think people, it's really, was interesting to me and surprising to realize that cervical cancer was actually one of the deadliest cancers for women until they invented the pap smear. But up until that point, cervical, cervical cancer was killing more women than breast cancer, than lung cancer, than any other cancer going. Yep, that, that is true too. So, you know, in the 1950s, Cervical cancer was the number one cancer killer among women in the United States. Even today, in rural parts of the world, cervical cancer is the number one cancer killer. But now, cervical cancer is not even in the top 10 uh, among all cancers in women in the U.S. So so something miraculous uh, has happened in the past 60 to 70 years, right? And what is that? That is the pap test or the pap smear, which is one of the best screening tests in the history of medicine. And this alone has brought down cervical cancer rates by 75% in the past 60 to 70 years. However, we still have around 13,000 cases of cervical cancer in the United States with about 4,000 women dying from it on a yearly basis when we now actually can bring it close to zero because we have all the tools to prevent it. So let me ask you this, though, because uh, when I was reading your book, it talks about the fact that, for the most part, HPV is a virus, just like we get all sorts of other viruses. We get it, 
we get over it, and it's gone and out of our bodies. And in fact, I think that your book said that 70% of HPV is out of your bodies within one year, 90% within two years. And most time, it's asymptomatic. You don't even know you have it. So given that you get it and it goes away, and you don't have to worry about it anymore, why, do I, why the focus on it? It gets out of my body. So, so why am I worrying about maybe a cervical cancer that might come years later? Or if said another way, if I got over the virus, then how do I get cancer from it 20 years later or 30 years later? Well, well, you know, that's a great question. Yes, about 90% of uh, uh, HPV kind of clears up on its own. And CDC est estimates, as I said, HPV is such a common virus, CDC estimates that there are nearly 79 million people in the United States who are infected with this virus. And there are about 14 million new cases every year. And just, to, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you for one second because I just want to clarify. It's, it's spread through sexual contact for the most part. Well, it's spread both non-sexually and sexually, but the most common form of transmission is sexual intercourse. Uh, and, you know, so 90 and people can pass it on from one person to the other without them even knowing that they have the virus. They may transmit it to the other person, and if the other person is unfortunate enough, such as having a weakened immune system, this virus can lay dormant for years, even up to 30 years, and transmit and may cause disease in uh, uh, some people. Okay, so then uh, let's go that back to that, though, so that it's laying dormant for 30 years, but I thought that most people are getting over it in a year or two. That's right. Most people are, uh, are getting over it, but then there are 10% who don't. And it is if you are one among the 10%, then it is 100%, right? So as I said, HPV, even if you look at the 10% where it might progress to cause diseases and cancer, if it doesn't clear, we are having 43,000 new cases of HPV on a yearly basis in both men and women in this country. So I think that's a big number. And that's only the cancers we are talking about. Apart from that, we have several million cases of diseases, which are not cancers, such as gentle warts that men and women get. And there's also another condition called recurrent respiratory papillomatosis, which is RRP. And these are small polyps that infants get in the air passages because moms transmit the HPV uh, virus to the infants, and there is also an adult type. So if you look at all this put together, you know, the, the diseases that, that it causes, the cancers that, that it causes, and not to mention pre-cancer, I think, Sarah, you and I being women, we know, I'm sure, many family members, friends, uh, acquaintances who've had abnormal pap tests, which are on various degrees of uh, pre-cancer, and the number of procedures that they need to go through and the emotional turmoil that this uh, virus can take by causing all these uh, various conditions. And now the, the emphasis now is that we have a tool to prevent nearly 90 to 97% of all these uh, related diseases and cancers due to HPV. So why not take advantage of it? Yeah, we're gonna talk, I wanna go through the details of the vaccine and what it covers and what it doesn't in a minute. Um, I wanna push to understand a little bit more because I. I get so fascinated by these things. So if somebody has HPV or had HPV or they have it and then they're, they're over it and they get over it and it's gone from their body, are, are they at risk later for cervical cancer or do you only get cervical cancer if you continue to have an active infection in your body? Like does having the infection change the structure or something in my tissues or in my cellular level that then later leads to cancer? Okay, 
Now, so, uh, so these are different scenarios. Say, for example, a person has HPV, and, you know, 90% uh, of the time they're going to clear it, and maybe it lays dormant. And the time that HPV really kind of causes diseases and cancers is when a, uh, when a person has a weakened immune system. And we all have weakened immune systems in different uh, you know, stages of our lives. For example, in women, pregnancy causes a weakened immune system state. Menopause does. Or people may not have the HPV or have cleared up their virus, but they may be in a new relationship. And these things happen, you know, right around age 50. So when they get the virus at that time, especially if they are not able to clear it up as well as they did in the past, or if they had a dormant infection which kind of surfaces itself at that time, then that could cause uh, cervical cancer. And this is probably true. You know, we only we kind of always equate HPV with cervical cancer, but there are so many cancers that probably you'll ask me a question uh, that this virus causes in both men and women. Yes, and those are, so let's, we could talk about those for a moment. Well, actually, just one second, we'll go back to it. I still, I'm hanging, I'm getting hung up on it because, again, I think a lot of people, as they waffle about should they get the vaccine, shouldn't they get the vaccine, there are those that say, if I get the virus and then I get over it, why do I have to worry about it, right? So if you tell me that if once I have the vaccine, I'm forever now vulnerable, like if I had chicken pox, now I'm forever vulnerable to shingles, right? Because that does lie dormant in me. Um, I'm just trying to, to push a little on if I'd had HPV, but it doesn't lie dormant. Like if I got over it and if I went for a blood test and it said, no, I don't have HPV anymore, am I still vulnerable to cervical cancer, assuming I never have sex again? Like there's that I okay. never get it again. All right. So tell me, uh, first of all, let's, let's translate what you're saying into the real world. How are you going to know whether you got HPV or not in the first place? And how are you going to know whether you cleared it up or not if you had it? Because it's a silent uh, virus. You may not even know you got it. It may be laying dormant. So you really have no way of knowing whether you ever got it or whether it is laying dormant in your body. The only time you will know is when you have manifestations of this virus, like for example, you go to the doctor and you have an abnormal uh, pap smear. That is the only time you're going to find out that, oh, maybe this is HPV related, maybe I had it and that's why uh, I'm getting it. So when we have no control or, you know, over whether when we are getting it, when we are going to clear it, if we cleared it, if it's dormant, whether it'll surface itself to cause diseases, we, we just don't know because there's not one test to tell you, yes, Sarah, you have it. Yes, you cleared it. Yes, it's dormant in you. Yes, be careful. We just don't have, simply don't have those kinds of tests. How come so they now can't? we have some preventive tools, such as the vaccine, which is up to 97% preventive in, uh, in preventing cervical cancers. And the PAP test is a good test. You know, don't get me wrong. It's a good test, but it has, it's good only when it's done repeatedly every few years because it's only 50 to 80% sensitive, which means it might miss it the first time, but because cervical cancer, one, if there's any silver lining about cancer, is it's a very slow-growing cancer. From the time a person has a pre-cancer state to the time it goes to cancer, it can take 10 to 20 years, especially if a person doesn't have a weakened immune system. And because we have, that is why we have this luxury of this PAP test, doing it every three years to pick it up somewhere down the road if it misses it the first time or the second time. But then, again, when we have preventive tools 
you combine it with a pap test, you can almost 100% prevent cervical cancer. And in addition, as I said, the vaccine prevents many other cancers in both men and women. So how come they don't have some blood antibody test? They have it for many viruses and antibodies. So how come I can't just get a blood test that checks to see if I've have antibodies for HPV, either well, current ones you know, or past ones? Well, looking into blood tests. Uh, it is not very well commercialized uh, yet. HPV is a kind of a very tricky uh, virus. You know, just as I said, just because one has the infection, it doesn't mean they're going to get cancer, right? Uh, they may clear it. They may not clear it. It may lay dormant. So the only test that we have whereby we can say that perhaps this is due to HPV infection is the pap test or cervical cancer screening. And, you know, HPV causes, again, for what did I say, 43,000 cancers in both men and women. We've got vag- about 70% of vaginal cancers, vulval cancers, oral cancers. Uh, in both men and women, oral cancers are caused by HPV. Over 90% of anal cancers are caused by HPV. And, uh, again, you know, all the millions of general warts. And now, in fact, studies are showing that it may even cause some skin cancers and prostate cancer. So that is the extent to which this virus can cause uh, havoc. And, uh, you know, now we have tools that we can prevent up to 97% of most of, 90 to 97% of most of these cancers. And if we combine it with a PAP test and the newer test, like an HPV DNA test, which actually tests for the virus, like you said, not in the blood, but in the cervical smear, we can almost eliminate uh, cervical cancer by 100%. So we're talking a lot about the women's screening and the pap smear, but as we said, that men actually get almost as many incidents of HPV-related cancer as women. So um, is there no screening whatsoever for men? So in some ways, the men are more vulnerable than women to it? You know, you're not going to believe something. This could be a surprise to many, many people. Guess what? Oral cancer has surpassed cervical cancer. Oral cancers caused by HPV has surpassed cervical cancer in the United States now. Why? Because for cervical cancer, we have a screening test. For oral cancer, we don't have a screening test. And men are three to five times more at risk or get it more, more uh, oral cancers than women, uh, which are HPV related. And they also get it at a younger age between 40 and 50 years of age. So how come they can't um, scrape yeah, their so cheeks? For oral cancers, you know, it, it, the only way, again, we don't have a good screening test, but because it's kind of open to the outside, people can do self-checks, you know, healthcare providers can look for lumps, bumps, and sores, and same is the case with vaginal cancers, which is, again, vagina is, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, vulval cancers and penile cancers, because these are organs with which are exposed to the outside, people can do self-exams and healthcare providers can also do exams. But really, other than cervical cancer, we do not have a good screening test for uh, any of the HPV-associated uh, cancers. Uh, but the, the studies now are showing that the vaccine can prevent up to 90% of all these HPV infections that could progress to cause cancer. How come they haven't done any work on screening tests for men? How come they can't scrape their cheeks and do a DNA test the same way they scrape the cervix? You know, they have. They are. I mean, actually, I think even there may be some which are available commercially. Uh, The problem is, you know, not every time, because a person has an HPV infection, that doesn't mean they're going to get cancer. So just by telling people, yep, you've got HPV infection in your mouth or you have HPV in your mouth, what good is it? 
by telling them when they may or may not even get the cancer. This just causes unnecessary uh, tests, you know, unnecessary emotional uh, upheaval when we don't have a proper solution for it. You know, th that's why uh, maybe up to eight, ten years ago, we were doing pap tests every year. You may remember that. And we <laughs> yes, <started>. I do. <laughs> right? Now we've gone to 21, and now we're saying do it every three years only. And after 30, we are saying if you combine it with the HPV DNA test, which is even a better test, you can do it every five years. Now, why did we go from 18 to 21? Why did we go from doing it every year to every three years? Because we were picking up a lot of things which otherwise would have cleared up on its own. So we were subjecting women to unnecessary procedures. We were causing an emotional turmoil by saying, oh, at four to an 18-year-old young lady, you got HPV. You know, so we've got to do this every six months. We've got to do that every three months. But then we figured that you know, these things clear up on their own. So let's give it time and let's be more sane about it. So that's why we went uh, with you know, uh, uh, delaying past from 18 to 21 and then from going from every year to every three years to every five years. So go back to going back to your question, we still, you know, just saying someone has um, HPV in their mouth, I don't think we're doing any service to them because we don't know what that's going to do. Maybe they'll clear it. Maybe they won't clear it. So, But then they'd monitor it the same way they monitor um, women, cervical cancer. Or they yes, you can monitor. Right. Uh, you can monitor by you know if they were sores, lumps, bumps. Those are better right. indicators because that means you know the virus is probably. Then you can take a biopsy, see if that is HPV positive, and then say, oh yeah, you know, this is something abnormal. Maybe it is HPV positive. And the latest, as I said, the latest studies are showing that uh, the vaccine is preventing ninety percent, eighty-eight to ninety percent of HPV infections in the mouth, which is very good news. And I think that's what men should be excited about. All right, so let's talk about the vaccine. Um, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> and because you obviously you're a very big propo proponent on it, um, I in general am very cautious about vaccines because I think that we there's we're vaccinating a whole lot of stuff in the world, and I think a lot of people obviously there's a lot of controversy surrounding vaccines. So um, I know that at the start, so the Gardasil was, was approved in, what, 2006. So do they, at this point in time, you said that they've, they're effective at preventing 97% of cancers. But how do they know when it's only been around for 10 or 12 years and it takes 20 or 30 years for the cancers to grow? Oh, very, very good question. That's a fantastic question. Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, again, as I said, cervical cancer is a very slow-growing cancer, right? It can take 10 to 20 years to go from a pre-cancerous state to a cancerous state. So the vaccine has been out there only for 12 years. So how do we know that it is going to prevent cervical cancer? Well, we know for sure through biopsies that 90 to 99% of cervical cancers is caused by HPV. Enough studies around the world has shown that this vaccine is preventing about 90% of HPV infections. So if we were to put two and two together, we'd say, okay, what's causing this abnormal, uh, what's causing cervical cancer, what's causing these different cancers? It's HPV. Now we know that this vaccine can prevent up to 90% of these infections due to HPV. So we believe down the road, we are going to see cancer rates related to HPV come down. Too early to say because, as I said, this has been there, like you said, only 12 years, the vaccine, whereas these cancers take a lot more time. But what we say is we look at these end points, uh, like surrogate, 
uh, end point before someone develops the cancer and say, okay, this is like the precursor to cancer. The vaccine is preventing this, so it should prevent cancer. So that is that is where we are right now. Right, okay. And then, and I just totally forgot the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> that was regarding the strains. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So You're probably uh, going to ask me about the safety of the vaccine because no, that's a big not, question parents. I was going to get there, but not yet. Actually, I okay. was on the... St- <laughs> Listen, welcome to humanity and podcasts, right? Um, so I actually was going to talk about, and, and full disclosure and commentary on the fact, the reason you say that it's preventing 90%, because um, the vaccine protects originally, I think it was four strains of HPV. Now the new Gardasil vaccine is nine strains of HPV, but it's not all strains of HPV. That is correct. correct. It, it covers nine strains of HPV, which... Uh, you know, covers about 90 plus percent of all those HPVs uh, that can cause cancer. And that is the reason why we tell women, hey, uh, you know, even if you get the vaccine, get your pap test done because it's the combination of your screening test, the pap test, the HPV DNA test, and the vaccine, which is going to give you almost 100 percent protection. So just because you get the vaccine, it doesn't ma- mean that you should not get your pap, pap test. And just because you don't get your, uh, you're getting your pap test doesn't mean you shouldn't be getting the vaccine. Because even today, four out of five women who get cervical cancer in the United States are those who have not had a pap test in the past five years. So now we can, you know, do the pap test, we can do the HPV DNA testing and uh, give the vaccine to almost prevent, you know, in medicine we never say never, right. never say always, that's why I keep saying almost 100% <laughs> almost. prevent. So you talk about the HPV DNA. So when I would get my pap smears and they and then the doctor calls and says, hi, you, you know, good news, it's negative. I always thought that they were screening for HPV at that point in the cell. So what's this HPV DNA test that seems to be separate or in addition to the pap smear? And is yeah, that a new very type good of question. test? You have really been following my book. I can say that. I'm a um, very good preparer. <laughs> you are. So, okay. So now the HPV DNA test just says that, yes, you have HPV infection. Now, both you and I know now that just because one has HPV infection, it's not going to automatically become cancer, right? Now, what the PAP test is, PAP test is we're actually taking scrapings of the cell, right? The PAP test, now, a PAP test can be abnormal due to several reasons doesn't mean if a person has an abnormal pap test, it's always because of HPV. You know, a yeast infection can cause an abnormal yes. pap test. But if you have an abnormal pap test, that means there have been some cell changes, then we wonder, hmm, well, what are these cell changes from? Should we be worried about it? So if we do the HPV DNA test along with this pap test and say the HPV is negative, we say, oh, okay, you know, she's got some inflammation. It's not related to HPV, so at least we can be rest assured that this is not something that is going to go into cancer. On the other hand, if it is also an abnormal pap smear plus the HPV DNA test is also positive, then we say, oh, she's got abnormal cells. Now she's got an HPV DNA, which is positive. She needs to be watched a little more closely. You see that? Yes. So do people need to... and, And the reason we do this HPV DNA test, only starting at 30, we don't recommend that at 21, because between 21 and 30, most of them clear up that HPV on their own. And that's why I said if we do it too soon, we were doing way too many tests, which later on we found that they would have cleared on their own. That's why we reserved adding this HPV DNA test starting at 30. And is this HPV DNA test a recent 
new version of testing or has that been around for a long time? It's been around for a long time. I would say, you know, probably 15 years or so it's been uh, used commercially, but the guidelines keep changing. You know, when should we add this test? Should we add it at 21? Should we add it at 30? So now we say 30, now some. Now we have some guidelines. And you know, when we do guidelines, we have different uh, societies uh, coming up with different guidelines. And, and some say, well, maybe at 26, we can start doing the test to see, do they have this high-risk uh, HPV? Because you know, I told you there are 15 types of HPV that cause cancer. The, the two types which are the major culprits are 16 and 18. So what we do is when we do an HPV DNA test, some tests are even, um, subcategorizing it to say, well, okay, if she's HPV positive, let's see if she's got 16, 18, because that is the major culprit. Uh, so, you know, we've been finessing this HPV DNA test, trying to figure out when is the best time to use it so that we don't unnecessarily, uh, you know, burden our patients with tests that they don't need. But at the same time, we are able to detect that this person could be at risk and maybe they need to be screened a little more often down the road. So do women need to ask their doctors or confirm that they get both a pap smear and the HPV DNA? Do they automatically do it? Does, does insurance automatically ca- cover both of them? Yeah. You know, I would say if women can, you know, uh, who are knowledgeable, who want to ask the doctors, great. But many women, I just tell them, you know, just remember to pick up the phone, call your doctor and say, hey, am I due for my pap test? And then I would think that the doctor would recommend, depending on their age, it depends on their history also, you know, whether they need to be checked more often, what they need to be done. So if after 30, if women want to ask their doctors, sure, because if you get a pap test with an HPV DNA test and both are negative, you can go every five years now. You don't have to have the test uh, for cervical cancer screening for five years. So, so that's, that's a good thing. And in terms of insurance coverage, uh, any of the national guidelines, most insurances will cover yeah. it. Um, and if you do this HPV DNA test when you're 18, maybe insurance will say, well, that's not the national guideline. But if you start doing it at 30, that is a part of our national guideline. So it would be uh, covered. But each one's insurance is different. So just like the vaccine, I would say better check. But, uh, but if it's usually covered by the national guidelines, they would be yeah. covered. Well, I'm always a trust but verified girl, and I'm always a ask as many questions and you can, as you can of the doctor because they're so busy and they're rushing so that, uh, you know, even though they likely will automatically do what's right for the guidelines, I always still like recommending people to ask questions and double check. Oh, that's check. fantastic. Yes. yes, if they can remember, that's the right thing to do. Yes. You know, uh, read as much as possible. You know, but take down notes. Many of my patients take down notes so that when they come and we have this, uh, you know, 15 minute interaction they do ask some questions definitely uh-huh okay so now let's go back to the safety of the vaccine because that's always a big question with regard to any vaccine so um how's the safety profile of this you know the hpv vaccine is a very safe vaccine it's a very effective vaccine and it works so that that is uh, the main thing it has been studied and tested all around the world and several million doses have been given uh, most common side effects are like any other vaccine, you know, pain, swelling, uh, at the site of injection, which lasts, you know, 24, 48 hours, and it uh, goes away. Now, you may have heard about fainting with the HPV vaccine. Now, fainting uh, after getting a shot is more common in preteens and teens rather than in young children or adults. And this vaccine is usually given to preteens and teens. Hence, you hear more cases of fainting 
And it's not even the fainting that we are worried about so much is what if they walk out of the waiting room and then they fall on something hard, right, and then have a concussion. So that's the reason now, after this shot, we have everyone sit down in the waiting room for about 15 minutes. Now, there are so many other things like Guillain-Barre and, and, you know, many other types of rare things that you may have heard with the HPV vaccine. And to give you an example, uh, let's say Guillain-Barre. You know, that's a condition where people have weakness and paralysis of limbs. That occurs anyway at a rate of one to two per 100,000 of an unvaccinated population, okay, if they've not received the vaccine. So when you're administering millions of doses, you're obviously going to hear these one or two cases, but that's just a correlation. It's not a causation, which means it's not the vaccine that is causing this. It's just that when you give so many, you hear it because that's the rate at which Killian Barre occurs. And like all vaccines, even old vaccines, which have been approved for many years ago, the HPV vaccines are continuously monitored for side effects. And so I would very, very strongly recommend it to uh, both boys, girls, men, women between the ages of 99 and 45. Nine and 45, I thought it was nine to 26. Yes, now, believe it or not, I think just about two months ago, the national, we have been uh, toying with that. We have now gone from 9 to 45 for both uh, uh, males and females, but the best time to get it is 11 to 12. And, and that's when you have the best bang for your buck. And, and it, you explain that, because you had told me about it when we were, we've spoken in the past, why the okay. younger the better, because a lot of parents say, oh my gosh, my kid is only nine years old. Why do I have to think about something related to sexually transmitted diseases? Right. Um, this is what I tell parents. You know, I'm also a parent. I'm also a parent of a daughter. And I completely understand what you mean. You know, here I am telling you that this HPV is mostly uh, sexually transmitted, especially through uh, sexual intercourse. And then I'm telling you, you know, best time to get this vaccine is 11 to 12. And you might say, you know, I, I don't think so. I'm going to wait. But let me say something to you. Two things. One is, if the vaccine is given uh, at this younger age, especially 11 and 12, our immune systems are the strongest and they produce the maximum number of antibodies to the virus. So that's when we get the best bang for our buck because we'll have a lot of protection. And that is also the time when we are least exposed to the virus, right? 11 to 12 years of age. In addition, it's around this age when we go to the doctor's office to get other shots around this time. So it's easier to remember to get this vaccine. Now, the other part of the question that you asked uh, about parents saying, you know, I don't think my kid's going to be sexually active at that other age. It's not because of that that we're giving. We're giving it because of the strong immune system, easier to remember because it can be administered with other vaccines, and the least likely, likely to have this uh, virus. You know, in life, uh, Sarah, we, we think we have control over a lot of things, but there are many, many things we have no control over, right? No things question happen, about it, especially when it comes I mean, to our kids. Last year, I was thinking to myself, when we, and I heard about this Me Too movement, I thought immediately, I said, you know, that would be a reason as a parent, if I was vacillating, to say, you know, as a parent, I want to protect my children from as many things as possible, and here is a tool which will help protect my children from at least some of the diseases and the uh, cancer that a virus can cause. And so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and vaccinate my child. So that is what I would tell parents, that it's a very safe, effective vaccine that works. 
and that we are not in control of everything. And as parents, we want to protect our children. And this is one little thing we can do in addition to several other things we do to protect our kids. Okay, so let me play a little dev- devil's advocate because, again, it's such a controversial area. The, H- the vaccines are such a controversial area. So three questions on devil- devil's advocate. Um, you actually okay. say in your book that the long-term effects won't be realized for decades of the vaccine, right? Because sometimes we've medicine discovers something amazing, they roll it out, be it a drug, be it a vaccine, and then years later down the road, they realize that there's some other effect that they didn't quite notice in the short-term testing. So do we have any idea about any long-term effects that we don't know yet, although, you know, or that we're starting to see after 12 years or still everything's clean? Well, when did I write that book? If you see, that book was published in 2008, right? Yes. So I wrote that in 2007 after doing so much research. Right. And the reason I wrote that was the publisher said, you know, this is this new vaccine, and, and you know, certain states are trying to mandate this vaccine, and, and parents are up in arms. They don't even know what HPV is, and they're like, why am I wanting to give my 11-year-old daughter this vaccination? I wrote that with all these, I, I mean, I um, researched maybe four or 500 different articles, uh, and I've seen the effects of HPV, cervical cancer in various parts of the world. I wrote it at that time. In these 11 years, this vaccine has been administered. So many more millions of doses have been administered, and the side effects and everything, like I ex- explained, yes. remains the same. There has been no extra adverse effects at all. The only difference being at that time, maybe in my book I said, you know, it, has, it is causing some fainting spells, so one needs to be uh, a little bit vigilant about it, but now we are recommending the 15-minute wait time just because of the age at which it is given. Okay. So I would say uh, the vaccine has done better than expected. Uh, it has done better than expected in some terms of its safety profile. It's done better than expected in the way it's preventing HPV uh, infections. It is doing um, better than expected in the fact that HPV infections are also being pre- uh, prevented in males, and we are finding out how many more cancers are being caused by HPV. So I think all in all, I'm going to give it an A++ because it's doing better than what we thought it would be doing at this stage. Excellent. Okay, how about long-term efficacy of the vaccine? Right now, the vaccine, is, I think it's still a three-shot vaccine, right? So people should know that. It's not just a one and done, that there's three different injections that they need to get. And then do they know the long term of it? Do they need to have a booster at some point in the future? Okay. Uh, Again, some changes in the past couple of years. Uh, If you start your vaccine shot before your 15th birthday, you only need two doses of the vaccine. No more three doses. Only if you start after uh, your 15th birthday, or if you have a weakened immune system, only then you need three doses. In fact, we are doing studies on one dose of the vaccine. So, so we are trying to see you know, how we can bring this down to as minimum as possible to give the maximum protection. This vaccine is so unique, so unique. And if anyone is interested and you know, has, uh, gets hold of a scientific article or even my book, which explains it in a very simple terms, this does not have the virus in it at all. You know, usually these older vaccines have the killed virus in it or or they have something called attenuated, which means they weaken the virus. This is no, there is no virus particle in it. There is no virus at all. It is virus-like particle. It's a synthetic thing, which is actually uh, mimics the shell of the virus. And that's what the antibodies are produced towards that helps to prevent uh, uh, the infection and the disease. 
Now, this, we believe that this new technology, probably the titers, the antibody titers, are going to be high for a long, 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 long time. And when I say long, long, I'm thinking 30 plus years. But the only way is every year we add one extra year to it. So right now we are like at the 12th year and the, and the titers are doing just as good. But we believe that this new technology with the way the vaccine has been developed should give us long-term um, uh, protection. And right now there are no uh, guidelines for any booster of any sort. How, how do you test that? Do you have people come back in who have had vaccines in the past to check for the presence of the titers? Um, well, we, we, we are not doing it on, like, you, you cannot, you don't go to a doctor's office and mm -hmm. say, you know, can I get my titer checked like you do for a rubella? We are not doing that yet. Right. But it is in studies, you know, when they do all these different studies and the research is continuing to grow, that is when they've been checking these antibody titers and finding that, oh, this person was vaccinated 10, 12 years ago, but the titers are still remaining high. And, and that is also one of the reasons why, you know, uh, you were talking about, 9 to 26 and i said now we have extended it to 45 that's precisely the point because we found that if a person has a natural say hpv infection or hpv related disease yes you do get antibodies from it but those antibody the the response is not as strong as what the vaccine can give you and so at various stages of the life one could be exposed to hpv uh, who knows and we find that these titers remain high when one gets the vaccine. So that's why we've extended uh, the vaccine age to 45 now. Gotcha. Okay. So one other totally weird, weird question, and I'm probably mixing my metaphors. So when they discovered that H. pylori, the bacteria, was responsible for ulcers, they suddenly said, okay, let's, to treat an ulcer, let's knock out H. pylori, obliterate that, and then your ulcer will get healed. But what they also later discovered was that H. pylori actually does beneficial things in the body and that people who didn't, who had their H. pylori killed suddenly were getting an increase in esophageal cancer. Now it protected them from certain cancers, but suddenly they had an increase in esophageal cancer. Is there any chance that HPV does anything else in the body that we're not aware of? Or am I mixing my metaphors by, by mixing virus and back I bacteria? I understand that as of now, I would say, I would have to say no. And these questions, you know, uh, uh, have come in various ways to say, you know, by, by killing something, are we trying to generate something else which would be worse than what the original was? And so far, the answer is no. Yeah, well, I know, you know, I had a, a long conversation actually with my, my pediatrician when my kids were young. Um, when the chickenpox vaccine first came out. And right. she was saying that she as a pediatrician was not a big fan of it because when chickenpox was out in the world, kids would get it, they'd be exposed to it. Very rarely did somebody get that horrible version of chickenpox. And that once the vaccine got out there, then the kids that were getting chickenpox who had zero exposure to it, suddenly they were getting very extreme cases. So there was this accidental backlash as a result of the introduction of that vaccine into the universe. Um, but it seems that HPV, we do not have that same problem going on. So that's a very good well, thing. Well, again, you know, this, this right. we saw this kind of a phenomenon a little bit with the pneumococcal vaccine. Yes. Uh, we've seen it back and forth. But then so far with the HPV vaccine, we have not seen any sort of a phenomenon. As I said, we have given millions of doses, and it's been about you know, 10, 12 years now. And we are not seeing 
having uh, any kind of an adverse effect or some other infection or cancer that is occurring where we are able to say, hmm, maybe it is this, this vaccination right. that that's causing it. And I always say, you know, in, in science, we don't know everything 100%. And this is a combination of the environment, someone's genetics, and the chemical, chemical being either a medication, a drug, a vaccine, it's this interaction that sometimes certain people have more adverse effects than others, right? Yes. But we don't know whether, so, you know, so based on that, would we deny a whole, protecting a whole population? It becomes a very ethical question because we have a handful who don't do well with it, in fact, do worse with it, but does that mean that we would, after so much scientific research, knowing the benefits, would deny the whole population to say, no, you won't be getting it. So that, that, that is still out there, and I think uh, science is one of those. You know, you do the best you can, um, and there are going to be some adverse cases, and those are the th- things we keep uh, uh, researching and researching to see what the causes are. And right, for, right now, we have not seen anything like that with the HPV vaccine. Well, that's great. And the reason, frankly, that I ask all these different angles of questions is exactly that reason, because everybody's body makeup, their immune system, their chemistry, other medications they're on, whatever it is, they need to make these decisions in the context of their bodies and what's right for them. Absolutely. They they, they do. They do, but also taking science into consideration that if they did not have like an absolute contraindication to a medication or a vaccine then, you know, uh, the better part of valor, you know, it makes good sense to make an objective decision to say, this makes sense and this is the right thing to do, right? Absolutely. But again, I'm just saying, that's why I ask all these around the questions. Oh, good. That's good. I mean, I think, you know, this is in the minds of several men and women. I hope some men also tuned into your podcast because they're probably thinking, eh, HPV is cervical cancer. You know, I don't have to worry about it. But no, as I said, oral cancer has surpassed cervical cancer in the United States. And men are getting it about three to five times more uh, uh, times than women, and that to at ages of 40 and 50. So men have to be just as tuned in about the vaccine. And it's good if both men, boys, girls, men, women, all get vaccinated because, you know, what happens eventually, and this could be more an academic thing, we will reduce the viral pool in the society. And when you reduce the viral pool in the society, what does that mean? You know, you eliminate as many diseases and cancers caused by that virus, which is good for all of us. Yes. Well, and I think if there's one, I mean, the whole thing is important for everybody to know, but I think one of the most important things for anyone to realize in this is that we've talked a lot about women. Women, they're able to screen. We've got pap smears. They're able to see the parts. The men, the boys, it's invisible. So for them to be aware of the risk to them, the incidence of HPV and these throat cancers and oral cancers in boys, they really are at a higher level of risk in some ways than women because yes, it's so right, invisible. Yes, that is right, because there is no awareness about it in the first place. Right, and it's so There's invisible. No they can't monitor it. it. There's no screening for it. The only thing we have is the vaccination, and so we have to educate them and say, hey, this is good for you as well. Yes, totally agree. All right. Thank you so much. Let's talk for a minute. Tell me briefly about your upcoming webinar, the U.S. versus HPV vac- uh, HPV campaign. I guess January is HPV Awareness Month. So tell me that a little bit so about that. January is, yes, it's Cervical Cancer Awareness Month now with so many <laughs> HPV-related. It's the HPV and Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And our organization, the Global Initiative Against HPV and Cervical Cancer, the acronym is GAIAC, 
G-I-A-H-C, uh, the American Medical Women's Association and Indiana University. We are putting together a very exciting webinar for the public, and also pro professionals can tune in, and it, talk, it will talk about various topics on HPV and cervical cancer. And these uh, webinars go live uh, between January 22nd and 28th. They are for one hour, 12 to 1 Eastern Standard Time, but they're going to be recorded. So if you miss it, you can definitely, you know, log on and you can listen to them, and they are free too. Um, we will also, on January 28th, which is the last day of our webinar, we'll be screening a very inspirational and aspirational movie called Lady Ganga. <laughs> Not Gaga, but Lady <laughs> Ganga. And Lady Ganga is actually with Michelle Baldwin, uh, a lady who approached me after she had read my book on the HPV vaccine controversy, Sex, Cancer, God, and Politics, that was published in, by Prager in 2008. And, of course, unfortunately, Michelle is no longer with us because she died of cervical cancer. Mm. But her story has been developed into this most inspirational movie that I think you all will enjoy seeing, and you can see it on ladyganga.org or at www.gayak.org. And the only mistake Michelle made was she did not get a pap test for 10 years because she did not have insurance. Mm. And her cancer came back very aggressive. Three times they tried all kinds of treatment. And uh, she tells her story, and, and she did, I don't want to give it away, but she uh, did something absolutely amazing in the last three months of her life. Uh, that you, uh, It's a uh, 15 to 18 minute movie, absolutely very inspirational, very inspirational, wow. and I think, uh, I think your audience will enjoy. Uh, Great. Well, we'll put in the description underneath this podcast, we'll have the link to the webinar so that they can sign up for it. And then we will also have the link for you so that uh, we can find out more. They can find out more about you at the GIAHC.org, uh, the GIAC, to be able to see this video and learn more about you, Dr. Shoba Christian. Thank you so very much. Thank you. And if any of your audience is interested in joining us in eliminating the very first cancer from the uh, face of this earth, please email us at info at GIAC.org and tell us, you know, how you'd like to get involved, how you'd like to help. We'd be delighted to hear from you. Fabulous. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm talking to Dr. Shoba Krishnan, one of America's foremost experts on HPV and its impact on women's health. Cervical cancer was once the leading killer of women. Now, thanks to modern screening techniques and the creation of the HPV vaccine, the risks to women and men are lower than 10%. Dr. Krishnan has been providing Bottom Line's readers with her wisdom on women's health for years. Her insights appear regularly in our highly acclaimed publication, Bottom Line Health, which is filled with information from America's leading mainstream and complementary experts on not just women's health, but on all aspects of treating disease quickly and safely, identifying risks and symptoms of illness, and most importantly, how to increase your odds of living a long and vibrant life. Bottom Line Health has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 30 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get two free bonus books, Physician's Guide to the Right Medicines and Physician's Guide to Remedies and Cures, both full of some of the greatest tips from our team of health experts. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLH.